I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this week's episode, we're talking about Brown v. Board of Education. So grab your 14th Amendment. And let's get civical. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Walentowski. And what is new? What is new? I feel like, I don't know. I feel like you're in a new place. I am. I'm in a new place. I'm in a new state again. You and I just can't stay put. No, it's fundamentally impossible. I've been in the city for the last three or four weeks, and I think it's the longest time I've been in the city since like the start of the pandemic. I just yeah simply have car will travel and do have car will travel yes yep yes yep i am i'm in texas and so i've left my echo chamber apartment for my sister's house where there is a one-year-old 
So we will go from my echoey voice to hearing cries and screams <laughs> and maybe Sesame Street. And I, I love it. I love the challenge. I love everything about recording remotely. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Truly, truly a gift. Truly a gift. It's great. I love when I'm editing the things that I hear on everybody's audio. I'm just like, oh, there's, oh, there's something. Oh, and a car went by. Oh, there's an ambulance. Oh, there's a child screaming. A dog barking. <laughs> oh, oh, Arden's radiator it's, is hissing. Oh, oh, and it's hissing again. Hissing again. It's hissing Hold again. Yep. Everybody has echo. It's yep. it's my favorite thing in the world. It's my favorite thing in the world to just be up against the elements. I feel like I'm in the jungle. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, you should pimp yourself out for editing work because just your ability to minimize all of that and make it sound amazing is quite simply an innate talent that I'm not sure you can teach. I just, yes, it, it comes it comes with uh, now a year of practicing trying to pretend like we aren't recording from our apartments. <laughs> but we are, but we, we are, are, and it's fun, and it's great, and it's, it's exciting. So and oh my gosh, I think this is our first, is this our first episode of May? No, our that was last week's. This is our second episode of May. Oh yes. my God. Yes. We're already like halfway through May. It's so insane. Ooh. I can't. I don't even know Ooh. what to do with myself. My summer Me body either. has not arrived. We're still she's, in. She's still in transit. She's still, she's in, still transit. in transit. She's being held up by the USPS. <laughs> she's been lost she, at the post office. She has not arrived. <laughs> I'm not ready. She's not arrived. She's not arrived. No. I don't know if she's arriving. No, I think I think she might be stalled for till next summer. Yeah, we're gonna just we're gonna just try it again next next season. Yeah. Um. So, anywho, we're halfway through May, and weirdly enough, the uh, our topic of today has nothing to do with anything that we just talked about, no. but. The anniversary on when this case was, because we're doing a Supreme Court case, this landmark case was decided, happened this month. So mm -hmm. we thought, let's finally do it. We've talked about doing this yeah. case a lot. I think it's probably one of the best known top three cases that yes. your average person would at least recognize. Yeah, for sure. And I'm excited. So today we're talking about... Brown v. Board of Education yeah. of Topeka. Yay! Which is Brown v. Board. More casually known. But yes. it is Brown v. Board of Topeka. Topeka. It's, that's a mouthful. Of Topeka, not a It is. A, I mean, you know. Yeah. We couldn't, we didn't, we couldn't choose where it was coming from. It just, it came from Topeka. It came from Topeka. So before we jump into the case do you want to talk about where our sarsharon and sarses are coming from the sarsharon and sarses they are coming from this week a lot of our big hits uh when we do supreme court cases so uscourts.gov yeah. history.com the naacp legal defense fund and oh yay 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 it's my god like one of my favorite websites i know we say this every time but i just i love oh yay's it's okay it's so helpful yeah. when you want to learn something about a specific case because yep. they really break it down in a great way so shout out to our friends at oh yay's such a fan yep such a fan okay so let's let's get a kind of a foundation of what in the world this was about. So I'm going to start off with talking about the capital F facts of the case. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
So these notes are coming from history.com and Oye's. So Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka was a landmark 1954 Supreme Court case in which the justices ruled unanimously that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. 1954. Brown v. Board of Education was one of the cornerstones of the civil rights movement and helped establish the precedent that, quote, separate but equal education and other services were not, in fact, equal at all. Shock. Correct. Shock. Correct. I am shook. We finally got there, didn't we? Mm Mm-hmm. This case was the consolidation of cases arising in Kansas, South Carolina, Virginia, Delaware, and Washington, D.C., relating to the segregation of public schools on the basis of race. So we we see this a lot, where it's like, all right, gerrymandering's coming from here, it's coming from there, it's coming from everywhere, let's lump it together. We're going to deal with it, all everything you guys want in one thing. All right, we're just going to blanket. Here we are. Yeah. These cases, the ones that I just mentioned above, were Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, Briggs v. Elliott, Davis v. Board of Education of Prince Edward County, Virginia, Bolling or Bowling v. Sharp, and Gebhardt v. Ethel. While the facts of each case are different, the main issue in each was the constitutionality of state-sponsored segregation in public schools. In each of these cases, African-American students have been denied admittance to certain public schools based on laws allowing public education to be segregated by race. So, yeah, we're basically like coming to the Supreme Court being like, is this constitutional segregation in schools? Yes or no? Yes or no. Yay or nay. Give me yay or nay. Yep. Oliver Brown filed a class action suit against the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas in 1951 after his daughter, Linda Brown, was denied entrance to Topeka's all-white elementary schools. In his lawsuit, Brown claimed that schools for black children were not equal to white schools and that segregation violated the so-called, quote, equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment, which holds that no state can, quote, deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Great. Correct. Yes. Correct. Solid argument, obviously. Should we just do, I mean, I we talk about the Equal Protection Clause on the 14th Amendment all the time. I feel like we should do it. Have we done it? We haven't, right? I don't think we've done it. No, we should do that. I don't do think that. we've done it. Maybe that would be like a good 4th of July episode. Mm. Or a pre-4th of July episode. A pre-pre-4th of July, post-4th of July? Yeah. I mean, freedom is year-round, honey. Freedom is year-round. Equal protection <laughs> is year-round. It's so true. It should be. But we do, I feel like in in the major, a lot of major landmark cases, especially when it comes to civil rights and, you know, any sort of equality cases that we see, we're always coming back to this broad. Yeah. The equal protection clause. Yeah. I love her. Big fan. Big fan. The case, so the Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka case went before the U.S. District Court in Kansas, which agreed that public school segregation had a, quote, detrimental effect upon the, quote, colored children and contributed to a sense of inferiority, but still upheld the separate but equal doctrine. So basically, District Court of Kansas was like, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's detrimental effects here for sure. 
separate but equal. It's still it's still a okay by me. Right. It's still pretty equal, even though it it's sucks. Still, I mean, it's still right. But it's still pretty equal. It's even equal-ish. It's, it's close. Right. It's, it's it's within the gray area. It's within the gray area, absolutely, which we love. On the whole, the plaintiffs of all of the cases that we've talked about were denied relief in their subsequent lower courts based on, you guessed it, Plessy v. Ferguson, which held that racially segregated public facilities were legal so long as the facilities for blacks and whites were equal. This was known, this created, Plessy v. Ferguson created this whole separate but equal mentality that allowed this to go on for so long. It's another Supreme Court case that we've talked about. Oh my God, we've talked about Plessy v. Ferguson a lot. And eventually I'm sure we'll cover it, but it's not a fun one and I don't like it. So we'll see (laughs) when that happens. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) it It is the case in which this, basically this ended up overturning that ruling. Yes. Because it's the one that established separate but equal. Yeah. And so the question before the court, the Supreme Court of the United States in Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka was... Does the segregation of public education based solely on race violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment? I love when the question is so like... It's so succinct. Because sometimes I see like the question and I'm like, this is a this is a heady question. Yeah. <laughs> like I have to like think hard about what the question is asking me. Whereas this one, it's like, does this violate... The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Yes or no? Yes or no. Yay or nay. Decide. So the Supreme Court, you know, they're looking at these cases, but the Brown v. Board of Education case was like the last kind of case in a series of cases that had been brought mostly uh, by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund on behalf of various Black students at different levels of education. So we're just going to talk about a couple. We're going to talk about two of them. There are others that I, I didn't mention and that are worth talking about. But just for time, we're going to talk about these two. So the first one is Missouri x Rail Gaines versus Canada. It was in 1938. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I know it's not it's not the Canada. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I kind of left. I was like, versus Canada. Canada. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the country Canada. Yeah. It's not. That was just that was just like my guttural reaction. I know it is like that's crazy. That's crazy. So beginning in 1936, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund decided to take on the case of Lloyd Gaines, a graduate student at of Lincoln University, an all black college, who applied to the University of Missouri Law School but was denied because of his race. The state of Missouri gave Gaines the option of either attending an all black law school that it would build. Because Missouri did not have any all-black law schools at this time. So sorry. So sorry. What a bunch of fucking assholes. We're we're just, you know what? You're black. How about we build you your own separate school? Right. You can attend a school that currently, yes, does not exist. But we will just take our word for it. We will build this law school just for you. So right. So insane. Yeah. Right. Calling some BS on you, Missouri. Oh, my goodness. I know. It, it's it's insane. So they were either going to they offered to build him a school or have Missouri help to pay for him to attend a law school in a neighboring state. So they were like, 
we we will get because the because they had to as long as they maintained that they were separate but equal like all that they mm-hmm. the states had to do was like give them an equal opportunity and so in Missouri's mm-hmm. mind we're going to build to your own school it will be equal to the whites mm-hmm. but separate clearly not equal <laughs> ever been to or Nevada? We're like <laughs> we'll pay for you to go out of state like the state was gonna I mean that's so crazy it's crazy Gaines. Rightly so, rejected both of these options and employed the services of Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. He decided to sue the state of Missouri in order to attend the University of Missouri's law school. Yes. 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 Correct. That is the correct answer. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. By 1938, his case reached the Supreme Court, and in December of that year, the court deci- the court sided with him. Nice. The six-member majority stated since that since a black law school did not currently exist in the state of Missouri, the Equal Protection Clause required the state to provide within its boundaries a legal education for gains. In other words, since the state provided legal education for white students, it could not send black students like gains to another state. Correct. You can't. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it's actually just... solve his problem because no, but like. They were like, basically what they said was, you can't ship black people out to a different state because mm-hmm. you don't want them in your school. Like, no, this that ruling, is not a solution. And it's not a solution. This ruling is so interesting to me because I feel like they get halfway there yes. in it. Yes. Right? And which is obviously why we're talking about because it leads up to Brown v. Board. But I'm just, I'm I'm reading this, this decision and I, I just want to say... Take it one step further. Go one step further. You're, Nancy Drew, you were almost cracking this case. I know. Like, she was so close. Just she had go the extra mile. Like you're almost there. Because it it's crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. Because it doesn't actually help him. He's left with the no. like. Does he like? I I I wish I knew if he like went to like if they built him the black law school. Did he go to the University of Missouri? Like that's right. crazy. But it's also. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, it's not, it's not necessarily about having a structure. It's like, it's also the teachers. It's right. the, it's the resources, like, what do you right? Mean build like a school? There's no way that, yeah, they could build a building and right. be like, okay, we did it. Here it is. Right. You know, but what, what people need and want when they go to law school is the quality of education and also, especially specifically with law, a certain je ne sais quoi, as we know, comes along with going to particular schools. Right. Hello, Supreme Court yes. bench made up of only Yale and Harvard and a little bit of something else. Columbia, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's not It's not about building like an actual, it's, it's no, about it's having about the building. ability. Nobody is like, yeah. I'm going to go, I don't know, to the University of Missouri Law School because I like the architecture. I, f- I feel, because I, I love feel it, as opposed over over like Harvard where it's like you know it's just a little stale for me. It's I need too much gothic, right? No, it's about the teachers yeah. and the professors and the specialties yeah. and like all the stuff you learn and the difficulty right. level of the education, like you know, and and opportunities that you can have to like clerk, clerk. and right. be associates and yes. whatever else that lawyers have to do, which obviously being not. One of them, I don't know, but I do feel like it's a big networking thing as well. I agree. You know? The next case we're going to talk about is McLaurin versus Oklahoma Board of Regents of Higher Education. And this one is from 1950. I know. 
1949, the University of Oklahoma admitted George McLaren, an African-American, to its doctoral program. However, it required him to sit apart from the rest of his class, eat at a separate time and table from white students, among other obviously horrible and degrading actions. But McLaurin stated that these actions were both unusual uh-huh. mm-hmm. and resulting in adverse effects on his academic pursuits. And he sued to put an end to the practices. Great. Yes. Like. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. It is. Shouldn't it have is, to, but absolutely. Like you as the school are sending a signal to everybody else who are students that I am different. Mm-hmm. I am lesser than. I can't network with my fellow students. I can't socialize with my fellow students. Like. No, he's yeah, they isolated him. They isolated yes. him. That's horrible. Yes. McLaurin employed Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund to argue his case, a case which eventually went to the U.S. Supreme Court in an opinion delivered on the same day as the decision in Sweat, which is another case that we we didn't talk about. The court stated that the university's actions concerning McLaurin were adversely affecting his ability to learn and ordered that they cease immediately. Great. Again, we're like, we're close. We're close. We're, we're so close. We're so, so, we're getting so close. It's like, it's like leading a horse to water and then being like, drink. Yes. <laughs> I bet you, you drink. I, I brought you to the water. Please just take a big sip. Yeah. I know you're thirsty. Please come take on. a big sip. Come on. Let's get there. Let's get all the way. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
So now that we've laid the foundation, we've talked about the cases that led up to this. Let's talk about very quickly the Supreme Court them- themselves, right? Just the overall court that we're dealing with. So when Brown's cases and the four other cases related to school segregation that we mentioned before first came before the Supreme Court in 1952, the court combined them into that single case, Brown v. Board of Education. Thurgood Marshall, the head of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, served as chief attorney for the plaintiffs. And then, as we all know, 13 years later, President Lyndon B. Johnson would appoint Marshall as the first black Supreme Court justice. So that's why his name sounds super familiar to Mm -hmm. most of you. At first, you guessed it, the justices were divided on how to rule on school segregation with Chief Justice Fred M. Vinson holding the opinion that the Plessy verdict should stand. So again, we're talking about overturning a case that's Plessy that basically was like, just created this whole mess. Yep. And should we should we overturn what was another, I guess, kind of landmark case that happened in the late 1800s? I don't know. You tell me, Fred. Fred, what do you think, Chief Justice? I also think that, like, when I read his name, I was like, I don't even know that guy. Like, I think this might be the first time I've read this dude's name. Like, clearly not, like, a a memorable figure as far as Chief Justices go. Sure. Sure. So eventually what happened, we had a little changing of the guard when uh, when this case was brought before the Supreme Court. So when they were meeting to decide the case, the justices of the Supreme Court realized that, OMG, we are deeply divided on this issue. Shock. Shock. While most wanted to reverse Plessy and declare segregation in public schools to be unconstitutional, they had various reasons for doing so. So unable to come to a solution by June of 1953, which was the end of the court's 1952 to 1953 season, the court decided to rehear the case in December of 1953, which that's an interesting thing that I don't think that we've seen or we haven't covered a case yet where that happens, where they're like, you know what, let's give it to me again. Yeah. Start from the top. Yeah. Let me hear it again. Yeah. Really interesting. I didn't I didn't know that about this. I didn't know that they did that either. And it was interesting to me. Like, we'll talk about why. But like, it's it's also interesting that they were like, we can't come to an agreement on why those of us who do want to overturn this want to overturn it. And that's why they didn't Mm -hmm. rule. It wasn't like, okay, no, we all we all have the same goal in mind. Yeah. And like, but they and instead of just like writing a majority opinion, and then like, supporting opinions and uh, like explaining their various reasonings they just were like "Mm, let's take it from the top but six months later i need to take it from top yeah (laughs) that's interesting i feel like i feel like this is something taking it from the top that wouldn't happen with our modern court like they wouldn't have i don't i just don't feel like at least on a john roberts court i that would be something that i would never imagine that his court would do no to be like let's start from the beginning no because i also feel like now if they take it up like they so clearly choose which cases they want to take yeah and and like almost make an example out of them so it wouldn't like if you can choose a case why would you choose it and then be like we didn't like those arguments you know give me six months you know like i just don't think that that would ever really happen also could you imagine if it was like you know like the gay transgender case i forget the name of it but it Mm -hmm. was like three cases maybe put into one and i just can't imagine if they were like 
mm, we're gonna hold off on your civil rights. Like I think just the yeah. like kind of there would have been like enough uproar. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting thing that they decided to rehear it. So yeah. this sort of idea of changing the guard comes in in this period between them deciding let's take it again and them actually hearing it again. So during those months, Chief Justice, who we just talked about, Fred Vinson, died and was replaced by Governor Earl Warren of California. So new Chief Justice, new sheriff in town, new basically person at the helm. Mm -hmm. After the case was reheard in 1953, Chief Justice Warren was able to do something that his predecessor had not which was bring all of the justices to agree to support a unanimous decision declaring segregation in public schools unconstitutional. Yeah. Earl comes in, he hears the case for the first time, yeah. and is like, guys! Like, what are you, what is there to think about? What is there to think about? <laughs> it's like, come on, get in, the, get in the chamber. Everybody in the chamber. Ten minutes in the chamber. <laughs> We're having a meeting. We all agree. Yeah. Right? Right. So just let's write it. That's the the decision is we all agree. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Done. Boom, bang, boom. Done. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. So the decision came down, like Lizzie said, it's the anniversary this week. So it came down on May 14th, 1954. Chief Justice Earl Warren delivered the opinion of the unanimous court stating, quote, we conclude that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. Separate educational facilities are inherently unequal. Close quote. I mean, correct. <laughs> Durr is the correct response well, to that. Durr. It also, it occurred to me that like, um, you know, the, the, the case that we talked about, the McLaurin case that was in 1949 um, and decided in 1950, you know, three, four years before this one. Like, I feel like obviously Chief Justice Warren was not a part of that because he wasn't a part of the court yet. But I feel like he was like, you guys, we got halfway there. We got halfway there. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's go. go the other way. On the Come bandwagon. On. Come on. Let's. We're going. Right okay. now. Okay. And let, how do you, how should I phrase this? Um, separate but equal is, you could say, not equal. Okay. Not equal. Is everybody good? Put your names board? on. Let's on send it out. Okay. <laughs> Cocktails at the bar. Let's go. Yeah. The Supreme Court held that separate but equal facilities were inherently unequal and violate the, for- the protections of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Yes. The court reasoned that the segregation of public education based on race instilled a sense of inferiority that had a hugely detrimental effect on the education and personal growth of African-American children. Yes. Yes. Warren based much of his opinion on information from social science studies rather than court precedent. Yes, honey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get in the research. Because you know what court precedent is from 1954 previous is a bunch of white dudes who are problematic. Many are, not all, but many are not allies of anybody other than white people. And it's like, let's not look at precedent because maybe those guys that decided those earlier decisions yeah. in 1890-whatever, maybe the guys who decided Plessy v. Ferguson, not not upstanding guys, not the type of guys we want to hang out with anymore. And also just like what like society changes and grows and like as it should. So why are we holding, if we continue to hold ourselves to laws and court decisions that were made hundreds of years ago, I mean, by God, we wouldn't be voting. Like (laughs) we wouldn't be at the table, famously not invited to the table. I also think like I could have my timing wrong, but I think this is also like the start of that kind of 
like the budding period of that kind of social science and psychological studies mm-hmm. were like, I think this was when like, oh God, somebody's going to yell at me. There's like a baby doll study that was done. Have you heard about this? Oh, no. Where they like, they brought in like young black children and uh-huh. had them like whole, like they played with the babies or, or held babies or whatever, but they basically were trying to see if like black children thought that like they themselves were bad. So they mm. were like, they would like sh- say like, you know, show me the good baby or like, you know, and they would point to the white mm. baby and like, show me the black mm. baby. And they would point to the, so like I'm getting the logistics and all of it's very poor, um, like summary of that study. But basically the goal of it was like asking the question of like, huh, I wonder if, telling people that they're bad based on their skin color has a detrimental right. effect on their psyche. And guess what? Right, it did. Especially and like in young the children. black children that they worked with. And yeah. yeah so, but I, I think it's like, this is the period of time where like this all time of that period. kind of study is like really well, yeah. solidifying and becoming a, a thing that people are like, yeah. Oh, right. Like this is mean. And when you're mean to people, it does affect them. Right. And also it, um, it should be, I mean, right at this time and even maybe 10 to 15 years prior to this ruling, that's also like the the high point of like W.E.B. Du Bois's work where he was basically starting sociology and, yeah. and social science and, yeah. and the work that he did and like going into black neighborhoods and, and then basically doing research yeah. on what their experiences are and compiling that information as data for the first time. Yeah. So you're right. It's like, this is this time period where we're, we're finally starting to have a analytical mind to like, what are the effects socially yeah. of this horrible Jim Crow yeah. era yeah. that we've placed upon our black communities. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on the, right on the head of like, this was a, transitionatory time of starting to bring science into the mix yeah yeah and th- and that's what the chief justice was was focused on just going back to the notes these are all from oye by the way oh i love oye love it the decision also used language that was relatively accessible to non-lawyers because warren felt it was necessary for all americans to understand its logic yes yes Yes. Yes. Because he knew he was doing something. uh, He was ending racial segregation in schools, which obviously we've seen, you know, the the footage and the pictures of of white people, you know, screaming at black children who are going to desegregated schools for the first time. Uh, And the very intense pushback that those young students got when that when the transition started happening. Yep. So I feel like he knew that Jim Crow South was not going to take this well. Yeah. And so we had to really spell out why this is not constitutional, why separate but equal was not constitutional. It never should have been constitutional. And here is why. Yep. In layman's terms, which I love. Yep. So much. So much. Also because I'm sure like there were still, this is 1954, like there are still people who probably, you know, were not entirely literate and so like the the idea that sure. like you know we're gonna put it in like this legal jargon yeah so yeah, that you course. know and you know which would be hard for most people to read at least it's in simple you know more non-lawyer language so that right or if Americans it's like if it's read it's to impact. you yeah um you can also understand that if it's if you get the information orally as yeah. well yeah for sure 
So the court expected opposition to its rulings, especially in southern states, and the Supreme Court did not immediately try to give direction for the implementation of its ruling. So it ruled, Mm. but then it didn't dictate what you had to do. It was just like, this is not equal. You all know this. It's not equal. But they weren't like, it's not equal. We want desegregation by this time, by this day, da, 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 da. Or like, what was... What, you know, what would desegregation look like? Is it incremental? Right. Is it whatever? But rather, it asked the attorney generals of all states with laws permitting segregation in their public schools to submit plans for how to proceed with desegregation, which I don't think, again, is something that, like, you would see from, like, the Roberts Court would not be like, <laughs> you both are gerrymandering. Submit your your plans to the right. court. Like, this was this was, like, what they did during the Voting Rights Act. You know, when they had to, yeah. when the states had to submit their plans, their voting plans, certain uh, southern right. states, or not even just southern states, but certain states. But it went to the Department of Justice, not to the Supreme Court. I think Roberts would, or the Roberts Court, I mean, he's so, <laughs> I feel like he's so anti the court getting involved in anything other than deciding if something is constitutional or unconstitutional. Oh my God. That a Roberts court would say, this is unconstitutional and it is up to Congress to decide the next steps. Goodbye and good day. Yep. Absolutely right. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to like, don't, don't at me. Don't talk to me. You've I've given my ruling. That's it. Bye. It's up to Congress. It's up to Congress. Bye. Goodbye. Like, yeah, there would be no, there would be no further, like, let me know how you plan on desegregating. It would just be like, I don't know what to tell you. You can't do it. So best of luck. Best of luck to y'all. Best of luck to y'all. After still more hearings before the court concerning the matter of desegregation on May 31st, 1955, the justices handed down a plan for how it was to proceed. Desegregation was to proceed with, quote, all deliberate speed, which is also like a famous line from the court. Because also, what is mm-hmm. deliberate speed? That's not like per- yeah. this percentage it's, of schools by this date a year from now, this, you know, like, yeah. no, there's too much wiggle room in here. Yeah. Although it would be many years before all segregated school systems were to be desegregated, Brown and Brown 2, which is Lizzie's going to talk a little bit about in a second, were responsible for getting the process underway. So Brown 2 is like what the courts, what became the court's plan for like how to desegregate the schools. But they had to go back and like mm-hmm. rule again. It's interesting. This this whole how it panned out, like I would not have thought that it would have been up to maybe because I've just been living in a John Roberts court for so long. Yep. But I never would have thought that it would have been up to the Supreme Court to like be the ones to spearhead the plan no. or like to organize the plan. Unless there were states that were doing things that, like, raised subsequent questions on constitutionality, you know? They were trying, like, something else that the court (laughs) didn't foresee and being like, oh, God, now we have to consider something else. Right. But, um, yeah, this is – to me, this is a really – from what we've heard, and we've covered a handful of Supreme Court cases, but this is a really unique case in sort of the post-ruling aspect. We haven't seen anything like this before. Mm -mm. But – Let's talk about the impact of Brown v. Board. So what happened after this ruling happened and and we started getting underway? So as we all know, the legal victory in Brown v. Board did not transform the country overnight. (laughs) And much work remains. Go off NAACP. This is coming from the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. 
But striking down segregation in the nation's public schools provided a major catalyst for the civil rights movement, making possible advances in desegregating housing, public accommodations, and institutions of higher education. The decision gave hope to millions of Americans by permanently discrediting the legal rationale underpinning the racial caste system that had been endorsed or accepted by government at all levels since the end of the 19th centuries, and its impact has been felt by every American. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, when you think of landmark, like I really like this is one of the I think to me, one of the really as far as like the 20th century, this is what really got got us cooking yeah for a lot of things that have subsequently been like positive or in my opinion positive thing rulings that have come yeah so as we talked about in its ruling the original ruling for brown v board the court did not give specifications on how we should integrate things but asked for future arguments about it which brings us to may of 1955 so a year after the ruling the court issued a second opinion in the case known as Brown v. Board of Education 2, mm-hmm. the sequel, yeah. which remanded future desegregation cases to lower federal courts and directed district courts and school boards to proceed with desegregation, quote, with all deliberate speed. Though well-intentioned, the court's actions effectively opened the door to local judicial and political evasion of desegregation. While Kansas and some other states acted in accordance with the verdict, many school and local officials in the South defied it. So you give people vagueness and basically say, you should do this at some point. They will find loopholes and and reasons to not do it at any point. (laughs) And one major example, Governor Orville, God, Orville Faubus, the worst name I've ever seen, of Arkansas, (laughs) called out the State National Guard to prevent Black students from attending high school in Little Rock in 1957. After a tense standoff, President Eisenhower deployed federal troops and nine students known as the Little Rock Nine were able to enter Central High School under armed guard. So... Imagine the governor deploys the National Guard to prevent high school students, so anywhere between 14 and 17-year-olds, from going to school. It's so egregious that the actual president of the United States has to employ federal troops. So now we have a war situation. So that 14 to 17-year-olds can enter a high school. It's so crazy. This is crazy. It's so crazy. This is bananas. This is bananas. And this is in 1957. So, like, this is not, this is not long ago. No. This is, like, this is recent history that this happened. People from 1957 are still living today, to put it in perspective. <laughs> and they're not, they're not super old. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, we've, as the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, has, we've said we've made leaps and bounds yes. since the Little Rock Nine. We can certainly say that. Yeah. But, I mean, there is still so much 
inequality to education access to the equality of schools. um, And that comes, you know, that comes from all sorts of other ways that we have, you know, disenfranchised black communities from redlining to, you know, making communities less desirable to move into Mm -hmm. to lack of resources, lack of funding, all of these things really play into it. Um, So still so much work to do. Yes. But obviously very glad of this ruling. Yeah. It's nice to do a Supreme Court case that has a happy ending. (laughs) I know. right? Yeah, it really does have a happy ending because it, it, it could have so easily gone the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Like had, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't obviously mean it as intensely as the sound, but had Chief Justice Fred not died. Right. It would have, it we could have had a very different outcome. Yeah. I mean, it could have still, I, I definitely see a world in which that, that court still would have ruled in favor. Yeah. But there is always, there was always a more impactful moment when it yeah. is a unanimous decision. Oh, yeah. You know, 100%. and it's a and to have the chief justice be like take into consideration social science, mm-hmm. take into consideration how they articulate this ruling so that, you know, ev- all Americans can understand why they're doing this, I think was huge. And I don't think we would have gotten with the previous court, which could have made the already bumpy rollout of desegregation, like even, but you know bumpier people could have taken more <laughs> more liberties and drug their feet a lot more had the court been even more vague and ununanimous or what right. so right 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 landmark wow so happy anniversary to brown v board of education yeah learned so much on this one yeah that was great that was so so informative yeah it was good. Like there's, you know, cause I feel like, you know, the basic plot points, but then just really putting it into perspective and also like looking at the other cases that led up to it, because of course it like, these don't like come out of the, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're going to deal with racism right? And, and desegregation. Oh, never thought about that. Like, you know, it always comes Man. as like, you know, there are always cases that lead up to it because the court generally relies on, on precedent. So. Right. It really yeah. does. And I think just like the the poetic nature of Thurgood Marshall being the basically the chief attorney of this case and arguing it and being the the spearhead with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund that got this to the Supreme Court for then him to be, you know, just what, a decade later, less than a decade later, nominated as the and confirmed as the first black Supreme Court justice. Right. Ever. That's also one of those things that I, that I always found was, I don't know, it's just like this was, yeah, it's just like this is a really great. I'm so glad this happened. Uh, and um, yeah, we have to do a, we have to do an episode on Thurgood. Oh, yeah, we should. For sure. For sure. Yeah, we're due for another SCOTUS biopic biopic at some point. Yeah. Maybe this summer. We'll see. We will find somebody fun to do from her story, I think. Great. I love that idea. I'll think about it. I'll think on it and surprise you, reflect, you all. You and you let me know. But in the meantime, that is the end of our episode. And we just want to say we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. 
You can rate us, you can review us, and you can please subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.